Rocking the Academy is a podcast that's changing the future of higher education. Your hosts, Mary Churchill and Rupika Rizm, bring you conversations with the very best truth-tellers who are formulating a different vision of the university. Do they rock the boat? Yes. But in doing so, they rock the Academy. On this episode of Rocking the Academy, we are joined by Paula Krebs, Executive Director of the Modern Language Association, the largest organization of scholars of languages and literature in the United States. She previously served as the Dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Bridgewater State University after serving as a professor of English at Wheaton College. Hi, Paula. Thanks for coming on our show, Rocking the Academy. Um, I feel like we've known one another for over 10 years, maybe, and we probably first met on Twitter, maybe. That may be the case. (laughs) And that's where I first met Ripsy as well. Um, So we have a series of questions we want to ask you to talk about the future of higher ed, because we think you're an amazing truth teller in this world. You know, Paula, as, as someone who is so aspiring to, to move into administration in public higher ed at, at some point, your story is really, really inspirational to me and really uh, informative. And I particularly appreciated the opportunity to work with you on some of the innovative programs uh, that you were, you were working on when you were at Bridgewater, uh, both the, the Massachusetts cross-sector um, partnership and also some of your work to support faculty doing digital humanities initiatives at Bridgewater. Uh, so we'd love to hear about what were some of the um, most proud moments of your time at, at Bridgewater, um, because these are really for us these moments where you really um, were rocking the boat, uh, particularly in terms of pushing the boundaries of what we can do at teaching intensive universities like Bridgewater State and like Salem State. Well, I think what's important for um, uh, for women, especially, to remember as as you, you move through a, um, a trajectory in education, and if you have ideas about making change, not um, um, and and th- that's where I see your ambition, Rupsi, is it's not I want to become an administrator; it's I want to make change at a bigger level. You know, I want to have have influence to help people do better what they, you know, what they can do. And, and I think what's important for us to remember in relation to those questions is that you don't have to be limited by the position you have. I knew I was a kind of a non-traditional choice for there uh, because of, of, of the background I had, but also um, looking at what what you could and couldn't do. And I ran up against a couple of brick walls, as everybody does who's ambitious and 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 uh starts a new job. You, you know, you 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 try some things and people say, mm, we don't exactly do it that way here, or no, you can't really do that. But you can't stop there. You have to think, all right, what could I do then? And so what I what some of the things that I wanted to do on campus and was unable to do, I thought, all right, we'll do them off campus. You know, it's, so I was very interested in what I saw when I would be interviewing people, the people, uh, so a department would be hiring, they'd bring in candidates, and I would interview them as the dean, and I would say to them, um, you know, so what do you see as the difference between the students you're teaching now and the students you'll be teaching here? And the answer to that question was sometimes fairly shocking. I remember once I had a candidate from an Ivy League institution who said, oh, I'd have to 
cut my syllabus, you know, by two thirds for the students here. And I thought, you know what? You're not getting this job <laughs> because you don't understand who our students are and what they can do. Um, and you don't understand the differences between the students you're teaching at Ivy League University and the students you're, you're, you'd be teaching here are not a matter of capacity at all. Um, they're a matter of background, maybe, you know, a matter of privilege, maybe, um, but they are not differences in capacity. Um, so I thought graduate students who, there are graduate students out there who would be perfect for jobs at my institution, but there are also graduate students out there who need to learn what these jobs are and figure out how to be perfect you know, uh, for jobs at these institutions or whether they want jobs at institutions like this. We can help them with that. They're not getting it in their graduate programs. You, you don't go through a graduate program at a research one university and learn what it's like to teach at Salem State or you know, to teach at Holyoke Community College or even sometimes to teach at Wheaton College. Right. Um, but, and those institutions are not going to teach you that. But we could, the students, the, the faculty members and administrators at those institutions could take an active role in graduate education. We don't teach PhD students but in, in a traditional way. But the first time we ran that program, and you were there, I think, that first year, Rupsi. I was. You know, we, we, uh, I, I said, I think this could happen. I think this would be really interesting. And Matt Reed, who, who at the time was the provost at Holyoke Community College, he said, I think this could happen. And, you know, Rupsi and Mary, were you involved that year? I sent Rupsi. You <laughs> <He> did. <laughs> or, you know, everybody who was forward thinking in New England higher education, you know, thought, this is a great idea. Um, and we got 250 graduate students from all over New England who came to a day to learn about, you know, what's it like to try to do research on a 4-4 load? Who are the students at a community college? What is a collective bargaining contract? What is undergraduate research? Things that you don't learn in a PhD program. And, and I remember Matt Reed and I were standing in the back of, Matt writes um, the uh, 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 Confessions of a Community College Dean column for Inside Higher Ed. Uh, and Matt and I were standing in the back of the room uh, as we had a, a panel full of people from uh, community colleges and, and uh, the regional comprehensives in the front of the room answering questions, giving talks and answering questions and, a, and an audience full of graduate directors and graduate students uh, from the research schools. And Matt turned to me, he said, look at that. They're in the audience and we're on the stage. And it was a really, really empowering moment for both of us to think we have something that we can contribute to higher ed overall, to make higher ed function better, to make graduate education understand what they could be training their graduate students for, the really rewarding careers they could be preparing their graduate students for, but they aren't doing it. That's work that any of us can do if we're willing to do work beyond what's in our job description. Make your day job understand the value of work on a larger stage. The um, work that um, I think I was some ways um, most proud of, uh, besides uh, uh, teaching at teaching intensive institutions, was when I got a bunch of people uh, from, from Southern New England 
a bunch of different schools, community colleges, um, uh, small private schools, uh, regional comprehensives together to talk about humanities degrees and what their value was post-graduation. We called it the, the, the um, Humanities Student Success Initiative. And there were a ton of people who got together again at Bridgewater State, and I invited people from public humanities, uh, so like the Mass Cultural Council, Mass, uh, Rhode Island Council for the Humanities, people like that, and you know people from museums, things like that, as well as employers from the region, to get together with humanities faculty and administrators and say, all right, what do we teach our students? What should we be teaching our students? How will we know if we've taught it to them and how do we measure it? And that was a conversation that happened, again, not just with the faculty members in the relevant fields, but with employers and with public humanities people to really have a broad conversation about why students should major in the humanities and what they should be able to say and demonstrate about what they've learned as a result of those degrees. And that's work that I took from the region in New England into this job. I think that's kind of what, I hope, that's part, partly what made me a good candidate for this job was that I'm super interested in, in walking that very fine line bef between workforce preparation and focusing on the intrinsic uh, ineffable values of the humanities. There's somewhere in between those two things that I'm trying to move the MLA uh, to, to kind of own the ground on uh, helping students understand why a humanities degree is valuable after graduation, yet doesn't have to prepare you for a particular job. Both of you are examples of, of, of exactly what I'm talking about, which is that if, you, if, if you're not afraid to pursue things outside of, of, of the box that people try to put you in, you actually have a more rich career. You know, you actually will, will succeed more on campus um, if you break out of those bounds, if you try other things, if you have a bunch of side hustles. Um, and, that, and that can be in, including um, in a tenure track job, oopsie, you know, or, you know, Mary, not in a tenure track job at all, but in a campus job that's incredibly important and influential because of the choices that you make. You don't have to um, move off campus entirely. I mean, I, I didn't move off campus entirely until very late in my career. You know, I still managed to do all the things, all the cool, you know, different things um, on a campus for a really long time. I think that's possible. And I think that one message for um, listeners who, you know, who may be graduate students, it's not that in pursuing, um, again, to, to use your phrase, side hustles, um, that, it, it, that doesn't mean you're preparing yourself for even necessarily a non-academic job. You make yourself more valuable for an academic job in doing that kind of work. Oh, I want to say one thing about the the model you created at Bridgewater State, the alliance, what I'm calling the alliance model mm -hmm. um, of bringing together different institutions and nonprofits across the, the region. Mm -hmm. That is a replicable model. And that's what I'm doing now is really trying to get people to understand that each of the institution types in the landscape of higher ed has a different role to play. So in the space of education and teacher preparation. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's that's challenging conversation. I think we've all been competing with one another for limited enrollments. Yep. 
and to get people to see that there are different roles that you can play, particularly in supporting the city of Boston and teacher preparation in the city of Boston in the metro region. Mm -hmm. um, baby steps, but we're getting there. <laughs> I think that's really important. Um, and, and I don't think... I don't think higher ed has prepared us uh, for that kind of mindset. I mean, I think we're, we're especially in the humanities where we work as individuals. Um, uh, I think the social sciences um, area, you know, sometimes yep. work in teams. Yep, yep. Um, and, and I think scientists always work in teams. But we're, uh, you know, Rupsi, we know we're, we're trained to, you know, that scholar in the Garrett model, you know, individual scholar at the library with a stack of books. Uh, we're not trained to work together. And, and DH, I think, is moving us out of that. Digital Humanities um, has helped us understand how working in teams can, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the total is more than the sum of the parts. So but I have a question for you about um, moving to the MLA, kind of mm -hmm. based on what you just said about Bridgewater, I mean, I said earlier this idea of moving up to a national level and mm -hmm. what are the types of things that you can do at that level that you couldn't do when you were in a single institution? Well, there, I mean, there's both. There's things you can do that you couldn't do in a, 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 at an institution. And then there are things that you could do at an institution that you can't do in a national level. So the power of a learned society, we are, we are a member of the American Council of Learned Societies. I never uh, thought I would work for a learned society, but it's beautiful. I do. It's lovely. Um, but the things that the scholarly associations, the powers that we have really are powers of influence and convening. Uh, we have some little carrots, but we don't have any sticks at all. In this position, we have the power to convene. That's a pretty substantial power. One thing that I'm uh, interested in is getting people enthusiastic about things that I think are important. So um, I think it's really important that we get a grip on graduate education here and what we think humanities degrees are for and change the situation that we were just talking about in relation to graduate education. So we convene, we can convene people. So I can get the people I know are making the biggest difference in humanities graduate education right now. Jenna Lay at Lehigh, you know, people from the Council of, of Graduate Studies are people they can put, put me in touch with. I mean, we actually know who the people are who are doing the good work. We can get them all together and get these, these, these you know, super highly motivated and ambitious teams from institutions to come and really move the needle so that at the end of that 100 person event, say 25 teams, we've got 25 influential graduate programs who have committed to making real change. You know? Very and, cool. And, you know, we publish about that, we spread that, we disseminate, you know, that's what you can do in a national, you know, in a, at a national um, association. You can do some of it, you know, I was able to do some of that on a smaller scale regionally um, at Bridgewater State. This is the, the larger context. Nobody was going to give me, you know, $15,000 here and $15,000 there to make that work at Bridgewater State. They would give me $1,000 and, I, you know, teaching and teaching intensive institutions, schools ponied up 500 here, 1,000 there, we were able to make that help. But I thought, okay, if I can do that regionally, you know, uh, uh, get 1,000 here and 1,000 there, I bet I can do better than that nationally and make something happen. So Paula, we have one final question for you and then we're wrapping up. Um, what gives you hope for a different future for higher ed? I think what gives me hope um, is, is initiatives like this, that people are using 
new tools um, and new contexts that we have now to make new kinds of connections and think about new approaches that, um, you know, 20 years ago, what was a podcast, you know, right. I, you know um, but now I get all kinds of, and, you know, Twitter and, you know, all kinds of things. I get information from so many new sources now than I used to. And I make connections with people I never would have known, you know, through social media and, and outlets like this. And I think this can be really, really creative and help. Again, I think teaching at teaching institutions as an initiative could never have started without social media and the kinds of ways you can connect to people now that you couldn't connect to people before. And that's preparing people much better for a, a huge range of jobs and people are, are um, succeeding in ways they couldn't have before. And I think that's what, what I like to concentrate on from my perspective is how to get people to succeed in ways they never thought were options, you know, the, how to expose them to new possibilities and how to um, show them paths to success that they didn't understand. So I, I think um, seeing the people I see in this job and the range of you know, the number of people, you know, that, that, that I get to see in this job. And I, I think other kinds of, 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 of shifts like mergers and, and consortia and ways that higher education is moving in different spaces give give me hope as well the work that folks do um in in the digital humanities pushes us to think pushes pushes language and literature um in in such productive ways that we that we haven't engaged and that makes that and and that that becomes a space for accessibility for example i mean you know accessibility is is um an area in which, again, 20 years ago, who cared if your website, you know, was accessible, you know, or your conference, you know, and that meant that we were excluding so yes. many people. Um, but fields like DH make us think about accessibility in new ways. They make us think about, about race. They make us think about class. They make us think about accessibility. Um, I just think this stuff is, is the new stuff. It's pushing us in all the right ways. And we should fight for the humanities, you know? Humanities enrollment's going down, that's on us. And, and we should be, be changing the way we do things to make it so students of color, first-generation students, Pell Grant recipients, feel permission to major in the humanities. We have to, we have to make that happen. Um, and, and, you know, so to the extent that humanities enrollments are falling, that's on us because we haven't been accessible. Um, and I think, I think, you know, I, I think there are tons of possibilities. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about, about the changes that are, that are happening. Um, and I'm, you know, even though, you know, I have a board meeting this week and I have to look at, you know, at our budget, you know, I'm still, I'm very excited about what we can do. You have been listening to Rocking the Academy, where Mary Churchill and Rupika Rizm bring you conversations with the very best truth-tellers who are formulating a different vision of the university. Catch more episodes at simplecast.com.